The following podcast is by Mr. Jim Taylor, elder law and special needs attorney, helping and protecting those who need long-term care. And welcome back, everyone, to Answers for Elders Radio Network. And we are in segment number four, our final uh, segment, talking about the people that you need in your life at the end of your life, whether it's accepting long-term care or in a situation that you could be not being able to speak for yourself or manage your own financial and legal affairs. And we are here with our wonderful legal mind, uh, Jim Kaler of the Kaler Law Firm in Ohio. And Jim, I'm glad we are talking about this topic. So thank you again for today. And we just got done talking about revocable trusts. And now yes. you're going to talk about irrevocable trusts. Yep. Different animal. Okay. Different animal. Okay. So, and, and the comments I have here are uh, for the way I do irrevocable trusts for a special needs child. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm trying to do two things here. I'm trying to maintain as much benefit and control for the parents as I can during the parents' lifetimes. Mm -hmm. So it looks like a, a, um, uh, a revocable living trust while right. they are alive or before they trigger it and say, make it irrevocable now. Okay. Uh, so this is not a straight up uh, irrevocable trust, but what I talk about after the initial trustees, after the initial grantors, then it, it, the rest of that could simply be a straight up um, irrevocable trust. So if you want irrevocable from the very beginning, then you simply skip the the grantors being the initial trustees. Okay. So again, like a revocable living trust, when I am trying to create a trust with parents' money, maybe grandparents' money, okay, but a generation up or generation two up from the disabled person, then I want the that generation, the parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, whoever it is that wants to set this up, to have maximum use of their funds during their lifetimes, should they want it that way. So let's assume they want it that way. Because uh, if they don't, then we just go straight to revocable trust, which would be sure. after after what we're just what I'm just saying right now. Okay. But let's assume they want maximum use of it for themselves during their lifetimes, or at least while they are still healthy and don't need long-term care, mm-hmm. then it's a revocable living trust. Okay, but um, there's an estate planning attorney who often put these things together because this is an estate planning package. So I kind of do the special needs input. He does the estate planning input. We work together Mm -hmm. very, very, very well. He and I are quite good friends, uh, both professionally and personally. And uh, so this is our structure. So we build into it that at some point, the initial trustees are out and the successor trustees take over. It might be a death, which is just like a revocable living trust, a garden variety revocable living trust. It might be when one of them needs long-term care or however we want to define that because several ways to do that. Does a doctor say so? Does the Medicaid agency say so? That sort of thing. Okay. I'm not yeah. going to go into those details because we don't need to do that here. <clears throat> um, yep. But uh, because that's that's not a, the person that we're talking about. If we're focusing on the people 
in these in named in these documents right now. Okay, but so we build in triggers where the initial trustees are out mm-hmm. and successor trustees take over. At that point, it looks a lot like a from the very beginning revocable. No one's ever going to screw with it. Trust. Okay. Um, one of the big reasons, and I realize this isn't a person question, but one of the big reasons to leave it revocable for a long time is it gets better tax treatment from uh, on income tax. Ah, irrevocable okay. Trust, irrevocable trusts have a very high income tax rate. Revocable trusts are the same as individual rates. So there's another reason we like to make it revocable at the beginning so we have the better tax treatment. Um, we we lose fewer assets paying taxes. Uh, or, or I guess, well, you only lose income paying taxes. So we retain more of the income by reducing the tax burden, um, which means it grows more, okay? Assuming we didn't invest in crap. So when we get to the successor trustee, there are two approaches and they can be widely different. And sometimes it depends on who you have available as trustees and sometimes depends on how much money and does it make sense to to take the second approach because that's going to be the more expensive or more complicated so the first approach is we simply have a a friend a family member something that is the trustee looking out for the funds for the benefit of the special needs family member okay Mm -hmm. and it's let, let's just assume for sake of, of discussion that we're talking about the child of the initial grantors. Okay. okay. Let's make the discussion easier. They can be anybody. It can be the mm-hmm. paperboy they really like. Okay. Sure. That's okay. Um, but, uh, but we are naming a person to look out for the funds for the disabled person, for the disabled child. Okay. That can be a brother, sister, aunt, uncle, close friend. We want someone generally who is younger than the initial trustees. Because we don't want someone who's likely to die at roughly the same time as the initial trustee. Right. Okay. Because then we're scrambling looking for who's next. Okay. So we want someone younger and we hope at least a generation younger. Um, but it's also someone whom we can trust and someone is comfortable managing what might be large sums of money and possibly having to put up with pressure from the disabled person saying, I want that. I want a, I want. Seahawks tickets. Now, as someone in Ohio, I don't know why anyone would run Seahawks tickets, but I'm just just poking you to the stick because I know you're a Seahawks fan. Um, And uh, or I want a computer or I want a TV or I want it in cash. Well, if if the person depends, if the disabled person depends on Social Security or Medicaid, don't give them cash, period, end of discussion. No, because then it's income and they could mess with it. They will lose their benefits. So right. we want someone who can who can stand up to what might be unreasonable demands from mm-hmm. the person who is the uh, disabled beneficiary of the trust. Now the initial grantors are gone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I mean, the initial grantors can do whatever they want for the disabled person again, other than cash, because that's not a trust right. question. That is a Social Security, SSI, Medicaid question. Okay, mm-hmm. and it's just a you made a mistake sort of thing. Now you could do that in person without a trust. So, um, uh, so we try to avoid that no matter what, but, um, the, once the initial grantors, presumably the parents have relinquished control of the trust for whatever reason, 
then the successor trustee may have to put up with unreasonable demands from the disabled beneficiary mm -hmm. and has to be able to withstand those. Right. Or at least to, to separate the wheat from the chaff. Sure. Okay? So the other way to go, uh, which combines high level, we hope, uh, knowledge on financial management with an understanding that those, uh, usually through a trust company or bank, okay? And you, but with the understanding, as I mentioned before, that trust companies and banks don't do discretion well. No. And a trust for the benefit of a disabled person almost always has complete HIPAA. unfettered discretion in the trustee yeah. because that's what keeps the trust from being counted Correct. by Social Security and Medicaid as available to the person, right. to, the, to the disabled person, okay? Correct. But it also means they have complete discretion. <clears throat> yes, I will give them Seahawks tickets. I will give them Seahawks tickets for 40 years. Um, and, you know, the, the, the Seahawks will move within 40 years like every other, you know, football right. team does. But, you know, it, it that's what discretion is all about. Okay? Right. And, oh, I know we bought them a, a nice blue, a nice TV, but now they want a blue one. So we'll buy a blue TV now. You know? It, right. So the right. second approach is have a trustee who is a professional money manager, mm -hmm. but don't give them the burden slash authority because authority to distribute is a burden. Because you got to make a decision about discretion. Mm -hmm. uh, don't give them the authority to make distributions. They simply have authority to manage the funds and create a distribution committee of people who know the disabled individual. And can get that TV set. And can and, do that. And, well, well, one can get it and two, simply tell the trustee by yeah. committee vote. We said got get it. the TV set. Yeah, yeah. But then the professional who has an obligation to look out for the beneficiaries down the road after the disabled person mm -hmm. we're about to anyway, it might be nieces and nephews. It might be uh, the uh, ASPCA, but they're still residual beneficiaries. Otherwise you might just, you know, burn the money and give it to Medicaid. Um, so we've always got somebody and those residual beneficiaries have a right to ask to demand reasonable management. Mm -hmm. So the distribution committee has complete discretion as a committee. Sure. Sure. Not as individuals, as a committee. Right. But then you put people on the committee that know the way around this stuff. It might be the special needs attorney who's been helping the family or the special needs attorney's right. protege because the, the, the attorney has since retired. But you get the idea. Someone who knows their way around special needs law. Uh, it might also be the caseworker or a social worker or a, a family consult, family hired consultant who understands special needs stuff is, that's looking out for the special needs individual. Right. Um, and it might include their teachers or a teacher. Tricky finding somebody willing, but depending on the relationship, that might be it. And maybe a family member or two. Okay. Yeah. You can make the committee as big as you want, but make it more than one. Yeah. Um, so we have um, one minute left. Oh, wow. I did. I talked a while. Okay. So, <laughs> so fill us in really quick. Is the HIPAA release okay? Yes. I'm a big believer. You've heard me talk before. If you've listened to prior uh, podcasts, I'm a big yes. believer in having a broad HIPAA release so that your family and friends can look yes. out for you if you need long term care. So, yes. who do you name in your HIPAA release? Everybody. 
Yeah. If they're named in your healthcare power of attorney, even if they're the eighth successor trust, eighth successor agent, put them in there. Put your brother in there. Put your cousin in there. Now, if you if you and your brother wind each other up, don't put your brother in there. Right. Anyone who you think is going to be looking out for you, and that might include your elder law attorney, your special needs law attorney, and his or her care coordinator. Care manager. I'm sorry? A care manager. A care manager. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Home care agency. And, and they should all be in there because they need the ability to know what's going on with exactly. you. And the exactly. HIPAA release allows them to get that information and prevents a paid caregiver from locking them out. Perfect. Jim, thank you so much for this valuable information today. Um, I am so grateful to you and I hope each and every one of you gained a lot of wisdom. It's not about who you think you emotionally might want to have close to you, but what are the qualities of those individuals? And we're very glad to have gone through that and it causes a little bit of thought, you know, definitely for me and I know for so many of you. So Jim, thank you for being with us. And you don't owe it to your family member. You don't owe it to a friend to name them in here. These are business decisions. Yes. Stick yes. with that. You can yes. keep your friends separate and it's okay. You just may have to explain it. Yes. And to each and every one of you, I hope you're having a wonderful holiday season. Jim, happy holidays to you coming up. And to you. And, and to, you. to each and every one of you, until next week, be good to each other. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. State of Ohio residents, you have a friend to help you navigate long-term care while protecting your assets. You can reach Jim at www.protectingseniors.com or just email him at jkoewler-afe, that's jkoewler-afe at protectingseniors.com. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families, too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.